civil engineering, and, uh, and particularly uh, with, uh, with bridges. Um, and so if, if everything's running, Ben, it, are, we, are we good? Yep. So, um, nope. If you could start my slide for me. Um, yep, there we go. Uh, so I was going to tell you about all those, but those are bridges. Um, <laughs> uh, we ain't got time, but those are some, some bridges. Um, and here's a, here's a definition of a bridge. A bridge is something which enables an individual to move from one situation or location to another, right? So this definition is going to be important, so, so make sure you take that in. A bridge is something which enables an individual to move from one situation or location to another. So a situation might be, oh, someone says, well, this job is just a bridge between where I'm doing now to what I want to do. That's a situation. Or it could be a location. You're going over a river, right? So a bridge is something which enables us uh, to move from one situation or location uh, or another. Uh, we also are going to think this morning uh, about barriers, right? About barriers. And so uh, two examples of barriers here. Again, I'm going to go really quick. To your right in color, those are the peace walls in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Those are recent pictures. Those are not old. And so those are walls that are in the city of Belfast to separate um, Catholic uh, communities from Protestant communities. And so it is a barrier to keep them separated. On your left are historic pictures of the Berlin Wall um, that was there for many decades. Uh, bottom uh, left is a, uh, is a young lady. See the lady closest to us. She is in West Berlin, and this is August 1961, and she is talking to her mother, who is on the other side of the Berlin Wall. Uh, their family has been separated by that wall. Uh, so what are barriers? Well, uh, barriers, uh, object, either naturally occurring or man-made, which prevents someone from moving from one situation or location to another. All right? So you just hold these two in your mind, right? And so a bridge enables us to move from one situation or location to another. A barrier prevents us from moving from one situation or location to another. And what we're going to see in, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, this morning, is that, that Jesus is going to be looking at this idea of bridges into the kingdom of God and barriers into the kingdom of God. And so what are some bridges for you and I that enable us in our heart uh, to, to move into being uh, healthy citizens of God's kingdom. But also, what are barriers in my heart, barriers in my life that prevent me from moving into the kingdom of God and being uh, a citizen? And so uh, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Mark 10, beginning in verse 13, and uh, we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God bridges and barriers, bridges and barriers into the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 13, and uh, up, on, up on the screen for us will be, I think, the Spanish translation. Is that correct, Ben? Yeah, wonderful. Um, and so uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 13, we're looking at bridges and barriers. Now, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Uh, that's, that's a strong verse, and so let's, say, let's read it again. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So keep this image in mind. So Luke tells us in the Gospel of Luke, which is a parallel to this, it actually uses the Greek word infant. And so these would have been babies, probably under the age of two. And so you have Jesus who is holding babies, holding toddlers, blessing them. And as he's there with these children, I would imagine playing and laughing and smiling, this young man uh, who the Bible tells us is a ruler, so he's someone in a position of power and influence, Uh, uh, the other gospels say he's young, right? So he's young, powerful, influential. He walks up to Jesus as Jesus is playing with these children, all right? And let's see what happens. Verse 17. So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, one thing you like, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and it is true. And we pray for just these next moments that, Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts, that we would be changed by your word. We pray that you would open our minds, that we would understand your word. We pray that you would be at work in and through your word and in us for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Um, uh, we, we see in this passage an amazing contrast, and, and it's a bit hard probably for us centuries later in cultures removed to grasp uh, the, the power of the scene. For in, uh, in this time, in the days of Jesus, uh, children, uh, certainly they were loved by their moms and dads and loved by their families, but in a cultural sense, children were really not considered uh, a valuable part of society until the age of 12. So at the age of 12, a Jewish boy or girl would have their bar mitzvah, and that would be them entering into adulthood, but not just into adulthood, but into community. And so at the age of 12, you kind of become part of the community. But before that, children, in a sense, were to be seen but not heard. Children would be the, the least significant members of society. Let me say that again. Children would be the least significant members of society. Thus, this is the reason that the disciples are shooing them away, right? Leave Jesus alone. Do you, do you not know who he is? Like, uh, leave him alone. He's busy. And I love the fact, it's, it's, it's only used two times in the scripture where the Bible says Jesus becomes indignant. It's a very unique Greek word. It's not that he loses his temper in a sinful way, but he becomes highly um, passionate in a holy way, right? Uh, we see it when he flips over the tables in the temple, when, when people are stealing and, and manipulating and using religion to, to do sinful things. God uh, says, you know, that in, in Jesus, he becomes indignant. We see that here. And so here's Jesus, uh, the, the rabbi, the son of God, who says, no, 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 actually, children are not only valuable, but like bring them to me because I want to bless them, right? And so the disciples would be scratching their heads like, why is he so hung up on these kids? Everyone knows kids are just kind of like pets, yeah? And then along comes a young, handsome, wealthy man. And in their culture, uh, to the Jews, if you were wealthy, they believed it meant you were blessed by God. So if you were wealthy, you must be doing something right. If you were wealthy, you must be blessed by God. And so here you have these two distinctive groups, one who is seen as the least significant and one who is seen as the most significant. Are you with me? Okay, this is going to become important because Jesus is about to blow everybody's minds by doing this, flipping those. And Jesus is going to say, actually, the ones who are most significant are those who come to me like these children. And the ones who are least significant to me are those who are concerned with their own wealth and power. And we see then he has to take all this time to unpack it to the disciples. All right. So um, uh, let's 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 see what these bridges and barriers are. So uh, here's here's number one. All right. Number one, in the example of children, we discover bridges to entering the kingdom of God. In the example of children. Yeah we discover bridges to entering the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. For truly I tell you, and like, this is huge, right? Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And as I've just been thinking about that, like the last two weeks, I've just thought, oh Lord, like, that is strong. You say you'll never enter the kingdom. Like if you don't come to me as a child, it, it, you'll never be in the kingdom of God. 
And so when I see something that strong, and it's in my Bible, it's in red, which means Jesus said it, then like, I need to really step back and say, all right, like, Lord, what's that mean? Because I want to make sure I'm coming to you as a child, because like, Lord, I want to be in the kingdom, amen? And so uh, what are then these qualities that children have, according to Scripture, that, that can be for you and I bridges into the kingdom of God? And these are, these are going to go by at, at breakneck speed. Are you ready? Uh, here's the first one. A bridge of repentance and brokenness. A bridge of repentance and brokenness. Um, and you see there, beside it, I have Matthew 18.3. And so uh, don't look it up now. But, but when you get home today, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have another encounter with Jesus and children, different from this one. And so what happens in that instance is the disciples, as they do multiple times, are having an argument over who's the best disciple, right? Like who, who gets to be the you know, starting captain for the disciple squad? And so they're always talking about who's, who's the greatest, who's the least, you know, and they're always, they're always maneuvering for first place. And they're doing that in the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus hears them doing it. And they're doing, they do it multiple times. So they're all sitting around the 12 of them, and they're trying to decide who, what's the pecking order. And in the midst of that, Jesus sees a child, and the Greek word there is for an older child, so we're thinking maybe six or seven, and calls the child over, right, and, and sits the child down and looks at his disciples and says, do you want to be the best? Do you want to be the greatest? Then follows whose example? This child. Okay, that's Matthew 18.3. And this is what he says there uh, in 18.3. It's here for you. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. There's that word never again. Strong. He says, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so the first bridge we see is a bridge of repentance and brokenness. It's something interesting about children. Children can be full-on rebellious. Is that true? Is that true? Y'all ain't got perfect kids. I know most of them, amen? Right? And you know mine, yeah? But, but here's the wonderful thing about little kids. In one moment that they can be completely driving you bonkers, misbehaving. And in the next minute, they can be completely broken and humble and saying sorry. There's, there's something sweet about a way a child says sorry. Is that true? Something lovely about that. And, and, and Jesus says here, listen, a bridge into the kingdom it's a bridge of repentance and brokenness. It's, it's us not trying to hide our faults. It's not us hiding our frailties, hiding our, our, our struggles, but it's us repenting and, and being open and saying sorry. Saying sorry to God is a bridge into the kingdom. Uh, we see a second bridge, and it's this. Not only a bridge of repentance and brokenness, but we see a bridge of humility. A bridge of humility. Same passage Matthew 18, and Jesus has this child, and he's talking to the disciples, and he says this, So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Watch that. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's about humility, isn't it? And we saw it just now. He says, those who, who desire to, to be first have to be last. 
And those who are last will be first, right? And so a bridge into the kingdom is not simply humility and brokenness. Uh, but, but here, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, repentance and brokenness, but it's also humility. And, and children are humble. Children take no credit for anything they have because they have no means of getting anything they have. Does that make, does that make sense? Like, like everything a child has is given to them by someone else. Think about that. Everything a child has is given to them by someone else. They don't work for it. They don't earn it. They don't deserve it. It's just given to them. And so there's nothing for them to be proud of because there's nothing they did to deserve it. Now watch this. The scripture says that for you and I to enter into the kingdom of God, uh, the, the book of Romans says that none are righteous, right? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so none of us have earned salvation. None of us have earned our way into the kingdom of God. I can't good work my way into the kingdom of heaven, right? Because as soon as I start doing something good, I become prideful about it. And that's a sin. And so, and so our very uh, ability to be in the kingdom of God is because not because we earned it or deserve it, but it's completely because of God's grace. And so uh, a bridge is repentance, a bridge is humility. But then we see this, that a a bridge of faith, a bridge of faith. Uh, Children are trusting, are they not? Children are trusting. I I can remember, I think Kayla, our daughter Kayla, uh, so those of you who don't know our family, we have a daughter Kayla who lives in the States. She's about to turn 20, and uh, and she's in university. And so um, I shouldn't have mentioned her name, sorry makes me cry thinking about her. And so our daughter is there. And I can remember she was probably about three. And we were, we were uh, in our house and we're sitting out in the back garden. It's a lovely night. We see the stars. And, uh, and Kayla says, uh, Dada, is what she calls me. She says, Dada, what's the moon made of? And without thinking, just in a blink, I said, cheese. <laughs> and she said, cheese. And I'm like, yeah. And Christy's sitting there and she's just shaking her head. Like, why would you even do that? And so I'm kind of committed to this now. And so now I'm like going way deep into like the dark side of the moon is like stinky cheese and the front side of the moon is, you know, and and the whole bit. And so fast forward to her being about six years old. We're here in England. She comes home from school one day and we're talking and, uh, and she says, you'll never believe what we talked about in school today. And I said, what? And she said, the moon. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And I stood up and told the whole class that it's made of cheese, right? And I was like, what did they say? And she's like, they said they thought that was amazing, right? (laughs) Children are trusting, are they not? You tell them something and they believe it. Children are trusting. But children also live by faith, right? Um, uh, we, we We can almost set our watch to the time of the evening where a certain young man who lives in our house will come downstairs and he will say, what, Christy? What's for dinner? What's for dinner? He's been doing it since he could talk, which was in his mama's belly, I think, right? Here's the thing. He's never came downstairs and said, do we have money for dinner? He's never come downstairs and said, do we have food in the pantry? Why? Because of faith and trust. Now watch this. He says, a bridge, a bridge into the kingdom 
is one of faith. One of faith. We have to have the faith of a child believing that Jesus will do what he says he's going to do. Amen, church? Okay, uh, let's look at then some barriers. Um, uh, not only do we see um, uh, bridges into, into the kingdom, but we see some barriers. Uh, and, and here's what we see. Uh, the, the young rich ruler comes along, doesn't he? And, uh, and we see this. He says, you know the commandments, right? You shall, uh, sorry, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. We, we've seen the bridges uh, into the kingdom, but now we see some barriers into the kingdom. This young man comes and he asks the right question, Right. The, the, the problem is he, he, he comes away not liking the answer. But he asks the right question. He says, what must I do to, to come into the kingdom of God? And, and we see uh, just two, uh, two barriers for him. First of all, we see the barrier of self-righteousness. The barrier of self-righteousness. So look how Jesus responds. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then watch his response. He says, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, here's the problem with that. I've never met this young man, but I know what he said is not true. Right? Uh, because uh, don't miss this. Jesus has already told us at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already told us that I'm angry with my brother in my heart of committed murder. If I'm angry in my heart with someone and I hold a grudge, Jesus said it's like I've committed murder. Jesus said if, if, if I look at a woman and I lust for her, I've committed adultery with her in my heart. She just walks by. I look a little too long. I think something I shouldn't think. And Jesus says, you're guilty in your heart of adultery. And, and so uh, in his self-righteousness, he's thinking, I've never murdered anyone. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never stolen anything. That's the eighth commandment, right? I've never given false testimony. But the reality is, in the human heart, we've all broken these. And the book of James says, if you break the law in one part, you've broken the entire law. So James says, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. Uh, I have a glass of water here. If I drop it and it cracks, how much of the glass is broken? All of it. Because it won't hold water, right? It's not just that, like, I mean, if, if one part of my engine breaks, if my starter breaks on my car, how much of my car is broken? All of it, it won't start, right? And so James says, if we break it in one place, we've broken the whole law. And so he has this self-righteousness of thinking that, that somehow I've kept the rules, I'm religious, so I'm good enough. But don't miss this. Keeping religious rules is not a bridge, it's a barrier. Churches are filled every Sunday with people who will die and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because going to church does not make me a Christian any more than going to Burger King makes me a whopper. Are you with me? Right? Like coming into this place on a Sunday doesn't make me a follower of Jesus. And so my religiosity, my rule keeping, my self-righteousness, actually, those aren't bridges 
into the kingdom, those are barriers. In fact, the ones who were outside the kingdom more than any other in the ministry of Jesus were the most religious people. So my religion can be just as much a barrier as it is a bridge. And then finally, uh, we, we see this. A barrier of idolatry. A barrier of idolatry. Look what he says here. And, and I love this fact that Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Jesus doesn't relish in any of this. Jesus uh, isn't happy about this. Jesus loves this man just as much as he loves the little baby who's sitting on his lap. Yeah? He wants them both in the kingdom. And so Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's a big ask. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's here's what Jesus did. Jesus uh, placed his spiritual finger on the pressure point in this man's life. And and Jesus knew that, that, that his greatest idol, his greatest struggle was with his wealth. And, and, and scholars agree, as you read the commentaries, like it, it really is an issue of idolatry. Because don't miss this. He came to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to him. He came to Jesus and said, a bit like Nicodemus does in John chapter 3, right? Nicodemus comes at night and says, you know, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man comes to Jesus and says, how can I be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. So you now have a choice. In the kingdom with me, out of the kingdom with your money. Don't miss this. In the kingdom with me, out of the kingdom with your money. The Bible says this man decides, I would rather be out of the kingdom with my money. But oddly enough, he goes away sad because he left with his idol, and he left outside of the kingdom. And so um, uh, I want to put this up for us, and, and, then, and then we're done. And it is simply this. Um, uh, where might you and I, as, as followers of Jesus, be tempted to fall into idolatry? All right? I have no doubt that, that none of us here probably are worshiping like little statues or Buddhas. We might, when we think of idolatry, we might immediately think of like a Hindu temple and a statue or something like that. But I would submit that in our Western culture, there are idols that are much more dangerous. So here's the definition of idolatry. Uh, This is adapted from John Piper. Um, uh, This is a Piper-Dubnik combination. Uh, um, uh, Well, sorry about that. It's a Dubnik-Piper combination. Um, An idol is the object, person, or state of reality that I love more than God, desire more than God, treasure more than God, or enjoy more than God. I get emotional because I know that I'm an idolater. Like, as, as I work through this this week, I'm like, Lord, is there anything in my life that I love more than you? Is there anything in my life, Lord, that I desire more than you? Or is there anything in my life that I treasure more than you or enjoy more than you? The answer is sometimes yes. 
And so uh, here is, uh, here's a, a quick of uh, idols that, that in a Western context we often struggle with. Um, and this is, um, uh, yeah, idols that, that we, uh, this is a Tim Keller Dubnik production, this one. Um, and, uh, and Tim Keller, in, in his writing on idolatry, has this chart. And, uh, and so I want us to, to look at this together. So what is my idol? Okay, what is my idol? So start at the top with me. So let's say success. What do I mean by success? Having power, having influence, winning. Like that's really important to me, and that becomes my idol. If that's my idol, if that's what I love, if that's what I desire, if that's what I treasure, if that's what I enjoy, don't miss this, then my greatest nightmare is humiliation. Like that's my greatest nightmare. I don't want to be humiliated because I'm a winner right? I'm successful, so I don't want to be humiliated. People around me, when I'm giving in to this idol, might feel used because I might treat people as a means to my success, yeah? Um, uh, My problem might be anger. So when things don't go my way, when I don't win, whatever that means, I might show it as anger, uh, maybe my idol is approval. Like, I want to be liked. Like, I, 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 maybe, maybe your temptation is, man, I, I just want to be liked. By the way, everybody, no one likes to be disliked, amen? But I mean, you're a people pleaser. Like, you don't, you, you don't want anyone upset with you. You want everyone to like you, right? And so, your greatest nightmare is rejection. It's your greatest nightmare is that people won't like you. They'll reject you. Uh, people around you might feel smothered right? In other words, because you want to be liked, you just, you just smother everyone around you uh, because you want them to like you, all right? Um, and your problem might be cowardice. What's that mean? In other words, I'm, I might not stand up for myself. I might not stand up to other people because I want everybody to like me, right? This, this is, a, in my experience, both personally and kind of professionally, this is, this is a big struggle for a lot of pastors, because by very nature, you're, you're in front of people all the time. You want to be liked, but sometimes you have to stand up and say hard things, and, and then you might be fearful that people won't like you, right? And then you have to ask yourself about that. Uh, comfort, right? Uh, freedom, privacy, lack of stress, right? Like, I just don't want to be stressed out. I just want to, you know, have life a bit on cruise control. And, uh, and so your greatest nightmare is stress, its demands. Uh, people around you might feel neglected, because you're not really bothered with other people. You just want to be comfortable yourself. And then your emotional problem might just be boredom, because eventually you get bored being alone, but you want to be alone, right? And then uh, the last one. And so I'm, I'm going um, to own this one. I'm happy to be, we're that kind of family here. This, this is the one I would struggle with, hands down, is control. And so um, uh, I, I want to have certainty, Okay. And so um, I'm probably going to cry telling you this, but I want to tell it because I want to make it real. So, for example, um, our daughter right now is like 4,000 miles away from us. And she just, um, if this was recorded, delete this part, she would kill me. She just went on her first date last Friday night. I found out last night there's been a second date there's a conspiracy in my house to keep that a secret from me, but we'll talk about that later. There's been a date number two, uh, and, and she's about to start driving. And listen to me, 
I have no control. She's on the other side of the planet, and I have no control over any of that. Okay? Here's the thing. I love control. I desire control. I treasure control. And I enjoy having that control, knowing everything is going as I think it should. Are you with me? So my greatest nightmare is uncertainty, right? Well, what's going on? I don't know. People around me might might feel condemned. If If I'm not in control, then I might make people feel that way. Then my problem emotionally, and I will own it 100%, is worry. Like, I'll lay in bed at night and think, oh, what's happening? What, 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 what's, was this boy, have, I, have we done a criminal background check on this boy? Maybe I need, you know, or like, what if she's driving and there's drunk drivers all over America and people have guns and like, and I, I'm telling you, Chris will tell you like, the other, the other night, like I woke up at 3.30 and she never went back to bed. I just went downstairs, right? And, and so just realizing even this week that for me, like, this issue is one of idolatry. Like, so here's what I have to do. I have to crush that. I have to repent of that. And I have to embrace truth. And truth is, Jesus is in control. Amen? The truth is, Jesus is everywhere at once. Amen? Right? The, the truth is, he will love my daughter and protect her in ways a million times better than I ever could. Amen? And so, uh, the questions then for you and I, and, uh, and then we're, we're, we're done. Simply this. Maybe you just want to take a picture of this and take this away. How do you identify your idols? How do you identify your idols? Well, what is my greatest nightmare? What is it that keeps me awake at night? What do I worry about most? That might point to an idol in my life. Here's one. What do I rely on for comfort when things go bad? Right? What do I rely on for comfort? So as a Christian, like, do I run to the Word of God for comfort in difficult times, or, or do I run somewhere else? Maybe to food, maybe to shopping, maybe, I, I don't know, to a relationship. But where do I go for comfort? Well, give us an idea of those things we value most. What makes me feel the most self-worth? Right? Is it when I have a position Is it when I get recognized? Uh, What is it that gives me self-worth? Is it when uh, things go well? What am I proudest of, right? What am I proudest of? And then lastly, what do I really want and expect out of life? And what would really make me happy? It's a great question. What in life would really make me happy? And we end with this, and, and it's a wonderful promise from Jesus. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and then Jesus slides in there, persecutions, and the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There are bridges into the kingdom, barriers into the kingdom. I pray that we will be a people uh, who uh, find bridges like children 
who tear down barriers in the power of the Spirit and the authority of His Word. And we will enjoy in the now and in the now to come the blessings of a loving Savior. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. It is true. It is alive. And Lord, we just, we just pray you would make us like little children. Lord, your word says in, in 1 Peter that uh, if, if we humble ourselves, you will raise us up in due season. And so, Lord, may we choose to humble ourselves like little children. May we, Lord, seek these bridges to your kingdom into kingdom life. And Lord, I, I pray that in my own heart, when I've built barriers of self-righteousness, when I've built barriers of idolatry, Lord, thank you that by your spirit and through your word, you uh, have the ability not only to tear those barriers down, but to restore the bridges. And so Lord, I pray that if there might be one of us uh, here this morning who uh, just have barriers between us and you, Jesus, and Maybe some of those we've built. Maybe some of those we're, we're not sure how they got there, but we know they're there. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit that you would break those down. Even as the Berlin Wall came down and this mother and daughter were able to hug for the first time in decades, Lord, may the barriers of our heart come down that we might embrace our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that if there would be one here who's never entered into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that today is the day of salvation. Just pray that if you don't know for certain, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just as we finish today, would you come and speak to Dan or myself or someone else, and, and they would love to share with you how you also can enter in the kingdom of God, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.